The boss came to me and said, your boss has a burnout, he's out. I heard you went to a good university, you want to take over the ownership of 1.5 million in revenues uh, monthly and 20 uh, salespeople. I said, of course. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Julian, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much, Sylvan. It's a pleasure to be on the show. You are the founder and CEO at WeFox, Europe's largest digital insurer. Before we talk about your impressive story, we want to talk about your personal background. You actually studied business administration at the University of St. Gallen. So I just wonder, what did you actually take away from your studies? Um, not a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I went to the university um, and in the first, uh, basically, a lecture, um, there was the professor um, saying, OK, look to your left and uh, look to your right. Uh, one person um, of you three will be investment banker. One person uh, will be uh, in a consultancy company right. and one of you will become nothing. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was the spirit uh, of the University of St. Gallen um, at that time. Um, I think it has changed a little bit, um, mm -hmm. but um, there was very little entrepreneurial um, spirit, um, which is a pity um, because uh, the university attracts amazing talent. Um, and, uh, and it's really around motivating amazing talent um, to go and build something on your own um, and take risks, uh, which the university hasn't been doing, is not doing to the extent it should be doing today. Um, so um, let's hope for the University of St. Kyle really becoming an entrepreneur's university. I think it has all the resources, all the ingredients to actually do that. And it's even more astonishing if you then look back in 2010, you actually co-founded DineDeal, one of the fastest growing Swiss startup companies. So despite all you know, the consulting and the investment banking career choices, how do you actually end up in entrepreneurship then? Well, for me, it was clear uh, from the beginning. I said uh, I either become a, a cook uh, or I jump into startups. Um, and I actually made an application to Jamie Oliver. Uh, and uh, he never replied, so uh, I had to go into startups. Um, and I came to Berlin um, right after university, um, and I worked for a Berlin startup. Um, first experiences it was great. Um, uh, I basically came to work, didn't know what to do, just wrote my own agenda um, and delivered on it um, and expanded the business internationally. Um, and then I wanted to go to my wife, um, who now wife who um, studied um, uh, fashion design in London. So nice. I looked for, okay, where could I work? And I had a friend that I went to school with who was in the HR department of Groupon, mm. back then very small company. Um, and I wrote to him and he organized an internship. And uh, uh, basically it was an amazing experience um, because on day one, um, I was just an intern. On day two, um, basically the boss came to me and said, you're boss has a burnout, he's out. I heard you went to a good university, you want to take over the ownership of 1.5 million in revenues uh, monthly and 20 uh, salespeople. I said, of course. Crazy. I, I learned how uh, basically to manage sales. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, within six months, expanded Groupon internationally to other countries just starting as an intern uh, just a few months back. And I just realized the amazing growth curve you can have in this environment. And that was the uh, beginning of uh, making uh, the decision of really wanting to stay in startups, build startups. And then Dine Deal uh, was an amazing um, experience um, for us, learning everything uh, within a very you know, short time frame, mm -hmm. uh, growing the company to a certain level, making lots of revenue, more than 100 million, turning it profitable, and then exiting it all in a very short period of time, all in a pretty protected environment, uh, Switzerland. Um, you know, it's not the shark tank. Yeah. Um, so it was great for practicing. Mm -hmm. uh, it was great for making mistakes. Um, it was great for getting ready for bigger things. We're going to talk about those bigger things as well, and also the comparison to Switzerland. One thing that I also wonder is, you know, in, in 2015, then, DineDeal was completely sold to Ringier. And out of that success, there were so many other companies that basically have been founded by people either 
founded uh, Dyndeal or worked at Dyndeal. We even created a map called it the Swiss Startup Mafia. So why was Dyndeal such a strong breeding ground for other companies, for other entrepreneurs to be born out of that success? What made it so special? I think it was um, the mindset uh, that was spread by the founders um, that everything um, is possible mm -hmm. and you're never happy with uh, the status quo and you continuously evolve your business. I mean, if we look at Dyndeal, uh, it started as a copycat, uh, but essentially um, we have continuously evolved the business and we were the first ones who've understood, all right, uh, we have to get into the supply chain. Uh, we have to organize goods, but not via dropshipping. We have mm -hmm. to build our own warehouses and we have to be the owner of that. We've been much earlier than Groupon has. We had more than 90% market share in, in Switzerland. We continuously evolved the business. We were the most innovative. And I think we put a big focus on culture mm -hmm. and on vision um, and on figuring out what is the potential of every single individual and how can we unleash that potential? So I think we created a pretty magic formula um, in a, again, small setup mm -hmm. that motivated many people to do it themselves, right? Which also was part of my own story uh, where I was motivated by working at Groupon to do it myself. And I think that's the ultimate, you know, um, trophy of any startup. Uh, to motivate as many people um, as possible to do it themselves. And so really taking the role that the university uh, didn't take, uh, which is motivate people to start their own businesses, I think we took that role at Dyndeal. Was there any specific thing that you could actually recommend to others who want also to sort of instill this entrepreneurial mindset or unleash the entrepreneurial potential of their employees? Is there yes. any particular tip? Yes. Um, I mean, it's the opposite of um, what... Um, is the leadership culture um, at, at Groupon really what I um, experienced there, which was micromanagement, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, a very tough um, uh, structure in terms of, you know, you are responsible for this and that's what you need to focus on and nothing else. It's really around taking people, giving them responsibility, mm -hmm. giving them freedom, but also um, ex expecting ownership and leaving them alone, right? And just giving them a frame of where they can move in, mm -hmm. but continuously motivating to think outside of the box, continuously motivating to take new ideas, develop new ideas, and also then supporting the implementation of these new ideas, accepting if these new ideas fail, motivating them to continuously create new ideas, but also celebrating them if these new ideas become huge successes, right? Very important. So I think, I think that's really the, the secret. It's um, a lot of freedom, mm -hmm. um, but in return, expecting a lot. Yeah, makes sense. So you also didn't rest yourself after the exit of Time Deal. You then basically went and just started WeFox together with two co-founders, with um, uh, Fabian and Dario. So where do you actually meet your co-founders? Well, Dario uh, was um, also the sales guy at Dyndeal, uh, co-founder at Dyndeal. Uh, so the I, knew him, Mafia. <laughs> I knew him for quite some time. Yeah. Um, and we knew that, you know, we want to build the next business together. Mm -hmm. uh, at Dyndeal, I was more like the operations freak um, and he was more like the sales freak. Uh, so we said, okay, that's a good match. You know, I make sure that the business runs you make sure that we get business. Yeah. Um, so that was clear. Um, and then uh, Fabi, I know for more than 20 years, we grew up together. Uh, we're friends from Berlin. Um, and uh, he was at the time um, uh, in investment banking uh, in London. And I gave him a call. I said, we're starting this new thing. Uh, he basically quit his job instantly, moved over to Zurich back then because I was still, you know, in the handover at, at, at Dyndeal. Mm -hmm. We moved into the flat um, at uh, Universitätsstraße, um, uh, which was actually a great uh, founder's flat. Um, so um, I remember um, uh, basically first um, in this flat, um, I lived with Anna Alex, um, who became uh, the founder of Outfittery and now Planetly, who yeah. was also at, at Dyndeer. Um, then we lived at this flat with uh, Jens Obaniak, uh, who is um, now the founder of uh, Dr. Smile. Cool. Uh, and has been at Helpling before. Um, 
Uh, and um, uh, also Maxi Rofaga uh, has been uh, in this flat. Um, so it's a shared flat uh, and he's the, um, the founder of Finemize. Um, uh, and then also Fabi moved into that flat. So it was a great founder's flat, right? Amazing. And we just basically started uh, on the living room table um, and started interviewing the first uh, people um, there on the, on the, on the living room uh, table. And Fabi basically took over the entire coordination prior to us finalizing the handover uh, in the sale of Dine Deal. Amazing. So please talk a bit more about how the WeFox idea was actually born. Did you have mm. a frustrating experience on a personal level that then led you to start a company to solve that or how did it happen? Well, the truth is very um, boring and weird. Um, so essentially it was Dario walking down the aisle in the Dindil office um, saying insurance is hot. Uh, we should build something in insurance. <laughs> I said no, uh, never ever um, because my father's in insurance. Um, and I promised myself I would never, ever, you know, follow the footsteps of my father. Right. Um, so insurance is a no-go for me. Uh, Dario said, listen, um, I invited this guy over. He made a lot of money with insurance. He knows insurance inside out. He's coming into the Dine Deal office on Friday. Can you please just take half an hour to talk to him? So I said, half an hour is fine. So we met with uh, Bora. And... Um, you know, we're, we're just brainstorming about technology, insurance, where might all of this lead? Mm -hmm. There's no specific idea we're talking about. There's no specific business model we're talking about. There's nothing specific. But all of a sudden, Bora is like, all right, I'm in. And uh, Dario, like, instantly said, all right, you can have 10% for 300K. And Bora said, I want more. And Dario said, that's it. <laughs> uh, and then they shook hands. Um, and I walked out of the room all confused, being like, what did you do, Dario? What right. just happened? <laughs> and uh, basically, we had uh, money, but no team mm -hmm. and no idea, no business model, nothing. Right. So I was forced to start WeFox. It wasn't my uh, own decision. Uh, it was more like destiny. Um, but what became really important for me is um, that I built a purpose and passion for insurance mm -hmm. because that's what I need in order to be motivated and have drive and be able to deliver. So I started, you know, thinking about the insurance industry, the inherent issues mm -hmm. in the insurance industry, uh, what role my technology play um, in order to solve these inherent issues and how we can um, actually become the winner uh, of the digitization of the insurance industry on a global scale. And I've started to become very passionate about it. I'm still very passionate about it. And now today I'm more optimistic than ever. And mm -hmm. um, that by the end of this decade, we will be the global number one insurance company passing by companies like AXA, Allianz, Ping An. Um, so we know the way, we just have to execute. And I think it's very impressive, you know, this turning point from I'm never gonna work in insurance because of my family history from I'm super passionate and enthusiastic about the whole market. What really changed your opinion about that? Was it the potential that you saw or what was really the, the tipping point here? Well, it's like, that's the problem with me. Like whatever I basically spend time with, I become extremely enthusiastic about. So I also have to protect myself a little <laughs> bit because um, when I meet people and telling me about ideas, um, I'm instantly engaged. And I instantly think about how could this idea change the world, right? So, uh, and then I get into it and, and, and dive into it. So, so that's just maybe me. Um, uh, so, and with insurance, I realized, okay, so there's, you know, five big issues um, uh, on why insurance companies are not amongst the most valuable companies in the world. Mm -hmm. They are big companies. They make a lot of revenues. Right. Um, so an Allianz is 140 billion in revenues, right? But they're just, you know, they have a market cap of just 90 billion. They're nowhere close to the big tech companies. Um, and, and the reasons um, are really, uh, number one, they're growing quite slowly, right? The industry is not a hyper growth industry. So the question for us is, how can we be a high, sustainable hyper growth industry that grows in the early years at least 100% year on year? Still today, we're growing 100% year on year. But how can we keep that up, 
right? Mm-hmm. So, so that was a big challenge for us. I think we found the solution. Second big thing that I thought was was the challenge was the whole topic of the risk margin and in insurance, right? If you look at insurance, the core business is risk. Um, so you have a customer that pays money and then an insurance company pays out claims, has administrative costs and pays for sales, right? And typically the margin is extremely low or zero or even negative, right? So the reason why this didn't matter in the past, over the last 150 years, is because insurance have a second income stream, which is capital returns. So they take the money from the customers, they invest it in capital markets, they make capital returns. Mm-hmm. And this actually created all of the profits. So now we're in a zero interest environment and we don't have any more capital returns. So the insurance companies, the big ones, they have a real problem because they never focus on the risk return. So for me, it became... Uh, really interesting to crack the challenge of how can we actually use technology and data mm-hmm. to reduce the loss ratio, which is the claims payout. How can we use technology and data to decrease the administrative costs of an insurance company significantly and sustainably over the years to come? And how can we become significantly better in terms of sales costs so that we increase the margin in terms of the risk business significantly? The third point is the whole topic of capital efficiency. Insurance companies need a lot of money on the balance sheet that they can put to use. So today there's much more innovative models on how to build a business in a capital efficient way and still complying to the regulatory requirements. So for us, it's really around capital light models where all of the money that we have, we put to use to innovate and grow and not to have it on the balance sheet. And the fourth point point is the whole topic of innovation. So insurance companies, the big ones, they're in a catch-22 because um, they, over decades, attracted the most risk-averse investors that request dividends on a yearly basis. And what does dividend mean? Dividend means you're taking out money of the business that in this fast changing world should be invested into innovation and into the future and cannot be invested into the future and innovation, right? So um, if, they, if the CEOs of the big insurance company would stop paying dividends, all of the risk-averse current investors would drop out, say, I expect dividends, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. All the tech investors would not be willing to invest because they don't believe in the capability of the management team to shape the future. Right. So their share price would plummet. So they don't have a different choice. And for us, it's really around investing into innovation of the core of insurance, which means, yes, it's around the insurance product, but also thinking about what are new revenue streams down the road um, that change insurance to the better. And for us, this is mainly two projects, which is risk prevention. So how can we essentially prevent bad things from happening through contextual data, our mobile phone data, IoT devices Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it's also how can we utilize our technology platform that we're building for ourselves to make insurance better and make it available for the entire industry. All insurance companies connecting to all distribution channels in the future um, and really create a winner-takes-it-all play in the insurance industry. So that's the innovation part. And the last piece is culture and leadership, right? So the managers of the big companies are not the founders because the founders are dead. They're managers, right? They're looking for the next career step. Um, They're looking for uh, a pay raise, right? But they're not bought in the same way that we are as founders. Um, and the culture um, is, is really a, a culture that has been shaping over decades and decades and decades and lacks the agility required in today's time to really become successful. And what we want to build is a place that attracts the best talent from all around the world, from in the insurance industry, but also outside of the insurance industry and make insurance a really attractive industry for the brightest minds on the planet. And if we manage these five things, I think we have a really good opportunity um, to beat all competition. Wow, I'm impressed by this story. It's, it's, you know, like the fast guys are really taking up the big guys to become even bigger than them. Mm. Fantastic. 
can you also explain how your business model works? Because you do have different uh, income sources and, and revenue streams that you built up over the past. So how does yeah. your business model work today? Well, essentially, WeFox is a digital insurance company that sells um, PNC insurance, which is car, liability, household, and so forth, life insurance, and health insurance, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we um, do this via um, digitally enabled intermediaries. So we don't go direct. Um, which uh, means um, uh, basically on the website um, uh, optimizing our direct journey um, uh, because we call that the worst of all worlds in insurance. It's counterintuitive, but essentially uh, what direct means in insurance is highest customer acquisition costs, then highest loss ratios by definition across all channels, so most claim payouts. Um, and lowest loyalty means highest churn. Um, to nail the unit economics in that space is almost impossible. And But most of the intertechs globally, they go down this path, mm -hmm. right? And we said we focus on how nine out of 10 policies, the uh, majority of all insurance policies are sold today, and we make that better, which is the intermediaries. And we have three different distribution channels. One is the exclusive advisors, um, so we have around 700 WeFox advisors in Europe. Uh, one is the brokers. Uh, we have around 5,000 brokers. And one is the affinity uh, channel, which we're starting to build up now, which is the integration of our insurance products into um, ecosystems um, of distribution partners, right? right. Uh, so embedded insurance. So these are the three different um, uh, uh, channels that we um, supply with our insurance products, PNC, Life Health. Mm -hmm. uh, we, in terms of product offering, have our own insurance products and third-party insurance uh, products from partners. Um, but we're aiming to increase the amount or the share of WeFox insurance products sold via our platform um, uh, dramatically over the next couple of years. Makes sense. How do you actually make that decision to not go directly B2C? Um, because you mentioned other tech companies are doing that. Why do you take a different decision? What was the convincing part? Number one, it has never worked. No one has nailed it. Number two, we've tried it and we saw the data and we said it, we, we cannot make it work. If somebody else can make it work, you know, right. um, it's, uh, it, it's great. Um, the only player I've seen make it somehow work is Geico. Um, but you know their marketing budgets um, and you know how long it took until they build a size of book where it starts making sense, right? right. But um, that's a very um, special and unique case. Apart from that, I haven't seen it work. Got it. And in that regard, how do you actually also support your, your brokers or the exclusive advisors to generate leads and also win customers? What do you do to support them along the way? So the lead um, and the sales process is, is a very local um, process. Okay. Um, so uh, essentially, we have a central unit that helps um, our country leaders to generate leads, which is you know one of the core value propositions. Mm -hmm. um, and here we're continuously optimizing but the lead strategy in Switzerland must be a very different than the lead strategy in Germany is a very right. different than the lead strategy uh, in Italy. But essentially through being an international company, we really understand what are the things that we can learn from each other and uh, continuously optimizing conversion rate. And we, and we use that knowledge to um, uh, buy customers at cheaper rates and get them to the best agent in real time to increase conversion rate, right? And the second thing is, is, is really technology to improve the advisor and the customer um, experience, um, which means um, automate the underwriting. So instead of having you know, 30 minutes for the explanation and sale of insurance product, we use it to three minutes, right? Um, then allow the policy management to be much better and in real time via self-service, but then also claims um, have a great service in terms of claims. We're currently around eight times faster in terms of paying out. Wow. Mm. That's a game changer. Yeah, that's, but that's just the beginning. Yeah. Right. You also mentioned before that since day one, you heavily focus on cost control and efficiency. Can you talk a bit more about how you actually, actually execute that in your daily business and also the tough trade-offs that you might have to make to make that happen? Well, it's really that we're driven by what we call, you know, an LTV to CAC um, optimization strategy. And every investment we make, we um, look at what is the return that we're getting and how long does it take. And that's how we prioritize our initiatives. And um, in the core, uh, we made decisions um, that make sure that we grow fast, 
mm-hmm. um, which means um, we leverage existing uh, intermediary networks um, and um, customize our products and technology for them to increase their business mm-hmm. and at the same time grow profitably um, by making sure that the business that we underwrite um, is has has a better than market loss ratio, right? We're around 11 percentage points below the market when it comes to loss ratios. Um, so it's, it's really around, um, and that's um, unique in insurance. You can't just grow fast and make it work at some point, right? You right. can't just throw money at the, at the market and think it's going to work. And that's possible in other, in other industries. But what you do in insurance is you build a book. It's going to stay with you for a long time. If you uh, spend a lot of money and build an unprofitable book, you have no possibility to ever turn profitable. So that's the difference between insurance and other industries. So for us, it was very important to say from the get-go, we're building a profitable book. We're growing fast, but also we're building... And that's the challenge, I guess, in insurance. Yeah. Right. Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. Again, that's nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. And now, on with the show. Do you have an example for like one of these strategies that, that you execute that perform well in t- terms of uh, lifetime value and customer acquisition costs? Yeah, I mean, um, it's around uh, how do we um, price our insurance products? Um, mm-hmm. And while many insurance companies um, have a pretty stat- static uh, pricing model, what we do is we take a lot more variables into account and we have a much better understanding of which customers need to be priced at which point. And what many insurance companies also do is they underprice what's called the loss zone, so the risky customers, mm-hmm. and they um, overprice the profit zone, yes. which means the profitable customers. What we do is we don't underprice the loss zone. We um, basically um, offer them the technical price, mm-hmm. which means it's way too expensive for them, so they're never going to become our customers, which allows us in return to underprice the profit zone. Um, which essentially um, drives our growth because in, in this area we are much more competitive and, and, and have better product quality at lower prices right. and have lower loss ratios at the same time. Right? So, and that's how we use data and we adjust our underwriting rules and our pricing on a daily basis, which um, the big insurance companies maybe do on a half yearly or annual basis. Yeah. How can you actually determine the good from the bad risk? Because that's probably the key differentiator between your success and and other companies trying to do the same, right? So how do you find out who's a good risk and who should actually not pay too much so you can underprice them and who's a bad risk, who should have such a high uh, fee that they will never become your customer? How do you know who is who? Well, it's about tapping a lot more data sources, right? And it's also about understanding correlations. And it's it's really around, we want to find the right compromise between asking customers very little questions and still learning a lot right, right. Um, and um, that's what's been learned in many other industries we just use the same uh, techniques right so in e-commerce in, in fraud detection for example um, so it's around analyzing a lot of variables in the background to really understand all right um, this is a customer um, where we um, expect significantly higher than market loss ratios. We make a lot of mistakes, by the way. Um, and um, the difference in us making mistakes, meaning underpricing certain mm-hmm. cohorts um, uh, that are much more risky than we thought, um, is really in us being able to identify these mistakes really fast mm-hmm. and adjust these mistakes much faster. So that's one of the big things, um, I think, how we can control our loss ratio. Uh, which is fixing mistakes faster. So realizing and fixing them faster because um, for big insurance companies that don't have this data-driven real-time approach um, to adjustment of underwriting rules and pricing, it's going to maybe take 
uh, months and months and months until they realize mm -hmm. and then again months and months and months until it's adjusted and the losses uh, accumulate so that really also comes back to the culture that you mentioned before giving people the freedom to try things out but then also learn and adapt quickly and continue trying and experimenting yeah so this is yeah. important 100 yeah so with the rapid growth that you had over the past years, you know, also the company grows and eventually also you as a CEO. So I also wonder, how did you as CEO change over the past six years? Well, uh, in every aspect, 100%. <laughs> so, um, so essentially, um, you know, you um, start some, something and you think you know, and you realize you don't know anything. Um, and um and that that kind of growth mindset um of continuously trying to be in the edge um your personal absolute maximum mm -hmm. not at you know the level where you're continuously overwhelmed you want to be a little bit below that but it's around really just figuring out what are the situations that make you feel uncomfortable right and you want to continuously be in that space and you want to grow. And with that, you increase your bandwidth, which means you can handle situations um, that, you know, killed you a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And you can handle much more of these situations in a very stable and clear and uh, logical um, and uh, sovereign you know, kind of approach, right? Okay. Um, and I think that's the most important element, right? It's the it's a mixture of the growth mindset plus resilience, right? Mm -hmm. um, so um, continuously wanting um, to have new challenges and going into areas um, where you feel uncomfortable, um, plus um, when shit hits the fan and it just gets too much. And you fall on your knees, mm -hmm. it's a guarantee you get back up. You never give up, right? Um, and I mean, there's been so many moments, right? Um, when you start a company, the skill set that you require is very different to when you run a company with 100 people. It's very different to when you run a company with what we have now, 1,200 people. And um, uh, for me, my current role is a huge challenge, right? Um, yeah. So... And the things that worked just yesterday don't work today. And the things that will work today will not work tomorrow. So mm -hmm. it's continuously finding out how do I, you know, navigate in my role and figure out, okay, what are the biggest levers in order to have impact in this new role, right? And today, this is very different to just a year ago, right? I, I mean, my day looks very different. Uh, my conversations sound very different. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and my approach to everything, you know, at WeFox is, is very different in this new role that I have. And, um, and the, the, so we have a clear vision. We want to be the global number one by 2.30. And the thing that I always tell all of our leaders is we're only, we only get to that position if we know what is expected of us as leaders in 2030, do that mental okay. exercise. And only if we know what's expected and we're well prepared for that, only if we are the leaders or the aspiring leaders and we know what we need to be at that point, we get there. We don't get there if 2030 we're already all, all, uh, in that position and then we need to learn it all. We, need to, we have like right. nine years to prepare ourselves and we need to be that leader already today that's mm -hmm. leading a global number one insurance company of the world type of organization. Absolutely. How do you actually currently spend your time today in August 2021? Just curious to, to hear what tasks or how your days look like today. Well, very different. I mean, currently we just hired like two super senior candidates um, so it's really around onboarding them working very closely together with them uh, we're um, looking at what is it that they can contribute to our general strategy because with every new senior hire um, you get extremely valuable new experiences and perspectives so you try to figure out okay what's the impact on our general strategy um, and then what you try to do is you you try to not overwhelm the the company with changes, but you try to 
break that down um, into initiatives across the entire organization and really explain it well. So I spend a lot of time in understanding and learning from the new hires. I spend a lot of time in explaining and communicating to the entire uh, organization um, and try to be very transparent around and take them uh, on the journey. And, and of course, I try to spend a lot of time on um, just, you know, um, uh, um, evaluating lots of the signals that I currently get from being very close to the operations, very close to the organizations. There's been times where I've been very far removed. Mm -hmm. Right now is a time where I'm quite close. Um, and I get a lot of signals. So I need to take time in my day to process these signals, right? And what I do is I go into room, I take a whiteboard, and I have a couple of, you know, pictures. Um, and they're very simple pictures. Um, and I just evolve these pictures uh, with new information that I've received over the day, okay. right? And so this picture becomes more clear and clear and clear and covers all aspects of the entire business, right? I'm really impressed by the time that you take out in your schedule to do that because I can imagine it's super important, but also easily forgotten and saying, oh, I, I have too many meetings to attend to or too many calls to take. So it's really impressive how you plan for that time to actually also have the pictures and the signals aligned. Well, I try to basically not have a full calendar um, and really try, try to take myself out because, I mean, I have a few direct reports they have the full ownership right? and they only need to involve me when they think I really add value and yeah. where do I add value in very little things, right? So they do the things themselves, right? Yeah. Um, if they need my opinion, I give it to them, right? Um, but it's really much more pull than push, right? Um, so uh, I'm not going to force myself into the organization at all, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that means I have time. Great. to think about the big things. And I think that's my most important responsibility. Absolutely. And at the same time, I can also imagine that with more employees, more clients, more funding, you usually also take on more responsibility and also increase the pressure on you on a personal level. So how do you handle the responsibility and the pressure? Uh, I have a coach I work with on a weekly basis and then once per month, a full day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it's uh, really around kind of mapping out all different areas of my life, right? It's kind of the work side of things. It's the relationship side of, side of things. It's the health side of things. And I uh, kind of map out, okay, how am I doing? Um, uh, and, um, you know, it's like a three-legged stool. Um, and if one of them... Um, you know, breaks, you know, I'm, I'm on the floor. So right. I kind of have to make sure they're all kind of stable, right? Um, and I um, try to analyze, okay, in which of these areas um, uh, are we unstable? Uh, am I spending too little time with my friends, uh, with my wife, with my family? Mm -hmm. uh, how do I change that? Uh, am I spending too uh, much time or too little time with certain aspects of work? Uh, am I spending too much or too little, which is typically my case with like figuring out, okay, how do I live a healthy lifestyle, right? Yeah. And how can I change that? So, and then make commitments uh, and, and change things actively. Um, and uh, typically the thing, you know, that drains my energy the most uh, is, um, is le quality and level of relationships. Mm. Um, uh, so if you see there's like conflicts, um, you know, I try to, handle them head on and solve them right either way but solve them not right. have them like you know just cooking um and yeah. becoming huge issues right um right. and you know i work on my mental health a lot with with the coach um and um uh, and i try to reflect a lot mm -hmm. right um i try to understand um what is required of me to be the best leader of this organization possible right and um, and that's my ambition uh, at any point in time to be the best possible leader of this organization, right? And if I realize I'm not, I need to step down, right? Mm -hmm. So I need continuously need to reflect, is there some, someone that could be doing this, what I'm doing better than me? Um, and what is it to be the absolute best, right? right? And that, you know, person I need to be.
impressive. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's wonderful to hear how you handle these, these situations. Another change in the past has not only been your huge growth, but actually also your geographical location. Your headquarters is still based in Zurich in Switzerland, but basically your headquarter functions are here based in Berlin. So why was that the right step to take to basically move from Zurich to Berlin? To be honest, I think we could have also built everything in Zurich. Okay. Um, so uh, I just decided to move to Berlin because I'm originally from Berlin and I wanted to get home. Fair point. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, I think Zurich is great. Um, uh, you know, of course, we have a little bit of an issue of high salaries, right? Um, higher salaries. Um, uh, and uh, at points, we have a little bit of an issue of mentality. I mean, I came from London back then uh, and, and moved to back to Zurich uh, mm -hmm. with Dine Deal. Um, and I was just astonished um, by um, the you know, attitude, um, of, you know, you know, leaving at five, right. Uh, because I came from London and it was like, the office was full at 10 PM, 10, 11 PM. Like the office was full and I came to Zurich and people, you know, came at nine, left at five. Right. And I was like, there was no, not even the discussion. There was not like, and there was nobody that didn't do that. So I was still, um, surprised by the level of efficiency and what we were able to achieve and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But I think, you know, these are two things uh, where it's maybe a little bit more difficult, um, especially in the early phase, right? Later, that's not such a big issue, but in the early phase um, to scale really fast, right? Um, and uh, um, I'm seeing that there's uh, a difference happening um, also in Switzerland, but Switzerland is a, is a beautiful paradise, you know? Um, and uh, and people uh, really don't have that many existential threats that also motivate you to, you know, just completely overperform and outperform, which is something that is required in these early phases. But right. Switzerland offers many great things that are very important for the sustainable development of a company. And we're hiring a lot of people in Switzerland, especially from the insurance industry, um, because we just appreciate the quality. Uh, we appreciate um, the philosophy, the approach. Um, so um, in Switzerland, I think we have more than 300 employees um, by now. Um, so uh, it's a very, very important part of WeFox. Absolutely. But we also we, we hear that often in the podcast that, you know, Swiss people can also get a bit too comfortable and that don't think big enough sometimes. So that's something where we have a bit of homework to do. It's yin and yang, right? Um, sure. So yeah. both sides have their positives and negatives. Absolutely. Another thing I also want to talk about is your Series C fundraising round. You raised $650 million at an impressive $3 billion valuation. And you basically did that in just four years, basically, you know, from building WeFox. How the hell did you pull that off? That's impressive. The whole story? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, how did we pull it off? Uh, I think the the you know, opportunity is amazing. It's like, a f we're talking $5.2 trillion industry and it's not digitized. So that's one side of the thing. I think our execution has been good. I mean, we're at 120 million revenues last year. We're growing uh, to more than 300 million this year. Um, so we're again, more than doubling the business. Next year, we're going to be at 800 million revenues. I mean, uh, we're just growing faster than anyone and we're growing at a, you know, at, at, a, at a much higher profitability than other any other intertech in the world. So, so big opportunity, great execution. Um, and I think very, very high ambitions. I mean, we are very clear about where we want to get to. Um, and we believe, you know, sky's the limit. Um, and that's the culture we live. Um, and uh, I think that combination of things has led to a situation where, you know, fundraising is always difficult, but this time it was really easy. Um, so, um, I mean, uh, in March, um, my, my daughter, my first daughter, daughter was born. Um, she was born on the 7th of March. And on the 3rd of March or something, we had, and that's the great thing about COVID, uh, you have um, these, you know, the investment bank uh, organizes uh, a single pitch um, to all investors, right? 100, 100 investors are so dialed in. They don't, they're, they're, they don't know who's dialed in. It's anonym, uh, anonymous, nice. right? Yeah. So you have an audience of 100 investors. Mm -hmm. And what worked really well was we did the pitch. I said, guys, you know, I want to make this a short process. Uh, we're raising 200 million, right? Um, and um, 
and you know just you know give us the term sheets asap right uh next day we got the first term sheet right after right which was perfect for the dynamics um and then we got in commitments uh, of more than 1 billion um so we over three weeks and then we cut it down uh, to 650 million we chose the right investors and we closed the round uh so it was pretty straightforward pretty simple um we were able to negotiate great um terms for the employees um which is anti dilution for all employees that have shares right nice. um yeah. we were able to negotiate you know making every employee a shareholder we were really in the power position on this one um Amazing. it's a very uh um you know unlikely scenario for a fundraise yeah. uh, because i have very different stories uh in which this has been very very difficult uh and almost impossible at times um the company was about to die three or four times right uh with not being able to pay salaries next month i mean that's you know these are tough situations but it you know ended out to be quite quite okay now you know talking about these tough situations what kept you going in these moments it's probably a situation that you mentioned before falling on your knees you don't have to give up you have to get back up what actually kept you back up to not give up and say that's it we close the shop i'm i think i th i think it was m the main motivation when i think about it was you know the people um because you know i kept on talking about wanting to achieve something big people believed me mm -hmm. and i was the one that's not able to deliver right uh on what i promised people and what i told people yeah and what what they believe I, and i think to be honest that was the biggest motivation um to not uh betray the people you know and in the beginning there was 30 people that i didn't want to betray you know then was 200 people then was like 500 you know now it's a thousand um and i think to be really honest i think that was probably where i got my energy from right um uh, to just continue going amazing so now as of 2021 you're active in five markets you have the 650 million uh, rounds that you raised so what will be next for you what will also the money that you raised be used for yeah uh, i mean we're using the money for further international expansion i think we found a secret sauce of you know nailing the distribution on a uh you know indirect uh, approach uh, uh in a very localized way mm -hmm. then launching our insurance carrier plugging it into our distribution and starting to sell our products uh, in the uh, highest uh, profitable kind of customer cohorts i think we nailed that so the internationalization will be a big part um mm -hmm. of uh, where we spent the money um uh, we will um also uh, spend uh, money on um innovation mm -hmm. uh, which means uh, essentially um evolving the insurance product from this reactive product what we have today so essentially we haven't really done anything great so far uh we've just made it a little bit uh, simpler a little bit easier so underwriting real time policy management real time claims real time but um we haven't revolutionized it and i think um turning insurance from this reactive model into a proactive model that actually has an impact on people's lives and prevents you know bad things from happening whether they're health related or accident related and so forth i think that makes a huge difference so we're working on that um and we're working on our our platform um strategy um mm -hmm. and these are the the big areas um that we are investing in great so there's still a lot to come do you have any plans for an ipo or an exit um i mean if we look at um what we focus on our philosophy is if we are able to perform and deliver our results the financing is something that naturally follows as a result so based on history i never want to be in a situation where i have to you know fundraise i have to get money right um uh, or where it's difficult to raise so that's why we really focus on results in the first place and then really how we get further cash to grow faster mm -hmm. is a different story and i think all options are on the table always right uh, so you just look at the market and you look at the you know offerings that you have right. and then you decide right sure i mean that's also your responsibility as a founder right and ceo of course 
So to wrap up the conversation, we have two last parts for you. The first one is about personal resources and gadgets that you can recommend. Mm -hmm. Do you have any books, blogs, podcasts, or gadgets that you use yourself on a regular basis? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a great habit person um, because I change or reinvent myself kind of all of the time, right? So I'm not like driven by massive habits, but I have a couple of books um, uh, and one is... A reinventing organizations from Frederick Laloux, which I think is an amazing book because it kind of explains to you the societal role of organizations um, in you know the development of humanity and also what responsibility founders have, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how you can create progressive work in, in environments. And that's been something that has been very inspiring to me, especially. Uh, spiral um, dynamics, right? And in general, I try to read a lot. Um, I, I try to, you know, stay up to date on many topics because I think having an overview of kind of the meta developments in the world and how they impact your business is super relevant. I know many people that say, I don't read any news. Um, and I understand that as well. I, I'm a news junkie. Um, I read eight newspapers in parallel every day right um so uh, that's definitely something um so in terms of uh, gadgets i think one of the most important ones for me personally in my work style is the is the whiteboard visualize things mm -hmm. for yourself and then for other people and the purpose in visualizing is simplifying 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 very complex things mm -hmm. simplicity is the ultimate sophistication um so yeah maybe got it Great. So let's finish with the rapid fire questions. I either give you a short question or a choice and you have to answer in one sentence. Are okay. you ready? Yes. Kindle or paper? Paper. Mm. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Uh, I got um, at least eight every night. Wow. Profitability or growth? Both. <laughs> if someone were to only insure one thing, what should they insure? Uh, they should... Uh, Definitely ensure their health. Good point. Apple, Google, or Microsoft? Uh, it's Apple. Right to disconnect or always on? Always on. And Germany or Switzerland? Um, or Berlin or Zurich? You can also ask it that way. No, I'm, yeah, no, I, I'm more Germany, unfortunately. Fair point. <laughs> and I love Switzerland. <laughs> Switzerland is, is perfect. Maybe too perfect at times, but it's perfect. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Julian, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing your impressive story. We wish you all the best and lots of success for the international domination, I would say. And thank you again for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Sylvan. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.